0: Father, this morning for the glory of your great name, for the advancement of your kingdom, we come and we recognize the precious gift of your grace that through Christ and his death and burial and resurrection as the eternal creator of the universe who has come as the ultimate missionary to eat our food and wear our clothes and speak our language to show us glory Then preach to us good news that we may know and repent of the rebellion and be transformed and be brought from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. This morning we enjoy that adoption as sons and daughters. And we have come to hide beneath your wings for we are yours. And oh God would you drive that reality deep into our souls and make us worshipers spirit of god rule your people today chief shepherd jesus rule your people well today father love your children well today in the name of the father son and holy spirit we pray amen well this morning uh we're going to take a quick excursion may is going to be an interesting month there's lots of things going on Tonight we have a baptism from five to seven at Silver Creek Presbyterian Church. We're going to display to them how to properly baptize. <laughs> I'm joking, sort of, but you know we're gonna we're gonna uh, be there. It's going to be a good time. If you want to attend, bring your own food, picnic style deal. And those who have been baptized are going to be cold. Because the water is very cold, but uh, we're gonna have a good time. Next week is is uh, baby dedication, mom's day type stuff, and then we have uh, elder installation on the eighteenth. And, and uh, but during all this, we're gonna be talking about some neat things for for at least the Sundays that I'm talking on this. What's not interspersed with special days, we're gonna take an excursion between First Timothy chapter three, verse fourteen to sixteen, and First Timothy chapter four. Uh, and we're going to talk about our DNA as a church. We're going to be reminded of our DNA. Uh, where we're at in First Timothy serves as an opportunity for us to revisit that because it's super vital that we not lose that. So we're going to sort of title this excursion DNA Reminded. Um, so the notes are available on the blog. You're welcome to go there if you're tech savvy. If not, always know that I'll post those early Sunday morning and you can go print them if you need to before you come. Three Rivers Community Church is 11 years old. Our church has gone through various stages of growth. However, one thing we always do is hit the launch point Where college students graduate or young couples move on to the next phase of life. That has been a constant ebb and flow of the life of this fellowship. This is a very gracious gift from the Lord. Because what is happening is that followers of Jesus are being infected with the DNA of the kingdom of God. And as they move on to the next phase of life. It's really more of a launching or a planting of the DNA of this fellowship. And we hear that over and over again from those who have moved on from us. We have had countless students and couples launched to the nations. Far more nations than the single people group we engage have been launched out of this fellowship. That's called multiplication. Nobody writes books about that because they don't sell, because you don't large, you don't grow mega churches with that DNA but it's missional, it's kingdom, it's Jesus. As folks go and begin serving with the kingdom of God and with their lives preaching the gospel, they comment on how Three Rivers has ruined them. And they're seeking to take who we are and apply that where they are. But here's a question that some ask frequently. What is it they carry with them? What is it? And, it? and I don't know if you've noticed, there's nothing flashy about us. It's not the methodology. It's not any of those things. But what is it they carry with them? Others who come to Three Rivers comment on the difference of being here as opposed to other places. And truthfully, that does either one of two things. It draws people or it radically repels them. And that's not bad. What is it that's different? Here's what it is. It's the ethos. The unseen culture. Do you understand culture? I hope you do. Because culture is more than what you see on the surface. It is the unseen flow of values that work themselves out into the way you live. The language you use is just different. And people pick up on that and use different words. What is it? It's the ethos. It's the culture. It's the DNA of who we are. And it's essential that we not take it for granted. We have a membership class on purpose. We want to make sure that those who come to be part of our family of faith in Jesus are of the same spiritual and missional DNA as us. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? The big question then is who is Jesus? We actually have people come through this class and when we talk about our doctrinal statement, who is Jesus? He's God, second person of the Trinity. We have people who have come through and said, I don't believe Jesus is God. I'm like, well then you can't, you're not a Christian and this isn't going to be the place for you. And let me present to you Jesus as He is. Repent and believe. That's crazy, man. And they go. Wheat and weeds. We want to make sure, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you on the mission? Are you on the strategy? Are you into the leadership structure of this church? Do you understand not only the reason we're here, but also do you get the ethos? Do you get the DNA that drives the mission? These are vital questions. We often speak of our mission and remind ourselves of that mission, but in spite of membership classes and speaking often, it's inevitable that the law of entropy due to the fall can affect us. We can't take the kingdom DNA that drives us for granted. We have to speak of it. We have to live it. We have to speak it again. After studying through the first three chapters of 1 Timothy, it makes sense, based on what we've learned so far, particularly Last week, as Josh brought First Timothy 3:14 to 16 to us, to bridge between that text and First Timothy 4 with a reminder not only of the mission, but the kingdom of God, DNA that produces that mission, by dissecting that mission clearly and articulating the implications of that mission, and they are huge. This is important for many reasons. But the most important reason is this. We cannot lose sight of the mission. And I want you to hear this well. And I hope you hear the heart from which it comes. By acclimating to the post-Christian southern culture. That values consumerism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And methods that are more for keeping people. Rather than planting them. And then a. Therefore, a shortened vision of the scope of the gospel. The day we become those things is the day that we may be able to ride above us. The glory has departed, and far be it from the Lord to let that happen. So, what is our mission, and 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 what are? What's the DNA of that 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 drives who we are? Here's how we try to articulate the mission of the Bible, the Great Commission. For the glory of God, we will build the church both local and global by being and producing radical followers of Jesus Christ. For the glory of God, we'll build the church both local and global by being and producing radical followers. Followers of Jesus Christ are four words or statements inside this mission statement that carry the DNA of the kingdom of God that we cannot take for granted. And here they are. Glory. That is the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. First Timothy 1.11. Glory. Number two, church. Number three, glocal. We say it global and Local. There's actually a cool book that your church is mentioned in that millions of people have read by that title. I would encourage you to go get it. It's called Globalization. You're actually mentioned. Chapter five, page eighty. You're and I'm not kidding, you're known globally. I was sitting in a meeting two weeks ago with a bunch of dudes planted from where we're planted, and here's I'm the oldest guy in the room, which is really weird, other than, than Bob Roberts, who wrote the book, and, 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 and these guys are going, I really thought you were a story that Bob made up just to prove a point. But that, you're real. I'm like, I guess, I'm, I'm, here. So go read it. Just Google glocalization. I just want to warn you, when you read it, you may think he's a heretic and that's totally op- It's, t- it's going to blow your mind. But we're going to talk about some of those things over the next few weeks because the implications are huge. But you're known globally. That's kind of cool, huh? And then radical. Glory, church, glocal, and radical. Those are the four words or phrases that make up the DNA of this fellowship, that produce the ethos, the unseen ebb and flow of life in this fellowship that makes you globally relevant. I want to just brag on you, and this is not in the notes, but you have become globally relevant because of this DNA of the kingdom of God. Your giving is known globally. The kingdom of God values things that the domain of darkness does not value. I'm going to unpack some of those in just a moment. So if you look around and you wonder, how is it something so small can be so globally relevant? It's because that's... How the kingdom of God works. It's opposite of the domain of darkness. God doesn't operate on the values. Of the kingdom of darkness. He operates on his values. They're different. And they repel people. Push people away. Because they're uncomfortable. But those. For whom. Jesus. Has prepared. The values of the kingdom are, they smell good and they're radically attractive. And they're man, I want to die for that. And people go, you're crazy. I'm like, yeah, I'm just following Jesus. I'm not into that. Well, then you're not in the kingdom. And so we don't want to take these for granted. We want to drive them deep into the genetic spiritual ethos of your soul that by God's grace, if he takes you away, how cool would it be that you become a church planting instrument wherever you land? I tell these people when they write back or call and say, you've ruined us. We can't find a church. Here's my, here it is. Plant one. I'm not kidding. What did Paul... We're going to get to this in Titus. Church planning strategy. Churches were already in existence. And Paul writes back, and we hit this when we're talking about elders. I want you to travel through and appoint elders where there are churches. Why? Because disciples were going, transforming society with the gospel. And churches were springing up. Look these churches. And Paul goes, you need to go and appoint elders in those fellowships. Hey, check this out. Here's a statement. I'm convinced God dwells behind push mowers. Because great things happen to me as I'm push mowing my lawn. I had this great thought yesterday. And it was cool because what you see happening in the movement in America is you see you see guys who are kind of becoming affected by the kingdom through the gospel. And they're sort of coming to places to learn how to plant churches and going. But you don't see churches producing men from within. That's unheard of except in the east it's unheard of even 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 where we're planted from guys come to them from the outside they don't they don't really produce them from the inside God is raised up from the inside and this thought happened because many guys look and they see whoever the pastors are and they go I can't be that I have a job What they should be saying is they've got a job like me I can do that cuz That's how the kingdom works. And so, as God raises you up, college students, and you leave this fellowship, if we've ruined you for the ordinary, carry the DNA and plant churches. If there isn't one that just drives or feeds this ebb and flow, this ethos, then go start one. You are hereby released. Go. Go. Chris, where are you man? Don't settle. Maybe that's your job. is to plant this DNA in Woodstock. That's not the Lord speaking. I'm just saying, if we've ruined you, go, brother, go. But this DNA of who we are, we don't take for granted and we don't want to take it for granted. So let's take each of these words for as long as the Lord would give us until we get through this season and and let's unpack them. Let's start with glory. Glory, that is the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. As we look at First Timothy chapter one, as we as we studied through, if you'll remember, I sort of lost my mind there for several weeks on First Timothy one eight through eleven because this glorious reality of the gospel, being this gospel of the glory of the blessed God, and we say for the glory of God to build the church. That's why we're here. That God would be shown to be weighty, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be displayed to be more weighty than the values of our culture. But we value the Lord more than anything else. So we want to be a display in Rome, Georgia that God is more weighty than anything. He is the goal. He's the point is to display that Jesus is bigger, Jesus is better. He is more perfect and he is our aim. So for the glory of God. And Paul uses this terminology when he's speaking about those who've misused the law. And he makes this amazing statement where he says in verse 11 that this law Is in accordance. And I'm not going to have. Because this is a different sermon. You go back and listen to it online. The whole in accordance. How the law is in accord with the gospel. Because the law preaches the gospel. That's a different sermon. Go back and listen to that. If I get caught up in that. That's 45 minutes. And then we don't get done with today. So I'm going to really have to work hard. To push past that. In accordance with this gospel. Of the glory. Of the blessed God. With which I have been. Entrusted. We are all about the glory of God. And the glory of God is displayed in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You don't have to be a pulpiteer. To preach the gospel. The gospel is powerful, articulated through fallen, incompetent, non-speaking individuals to save God's elect. And so I say to you, indiscriminately, proclaim the good news of Christ wherever you find yourself at your, wherever it is, and watch God save people. You don't have to be Spurgeon to have that happen. The gospel is powerful. It's not emptied. We empty it if we try to make it powerful in our words of wisdom. It by itself stands alone. And that is what we are founded upon. The gospel is not good deeds done to those in need. The gospel is a message. The gospel is good news. The gospel is news that must be articulated in order to be known. Don't ever assume the gospel. The gospel is good news. It must be articulated in order to be known among all nations. And the gospel is not just the historical reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. After all, who is Jesus? Why did Jesus have to die? Why was Jesus raised? How was Jesus raised? What does all that mean? Those are good questions. This is why the gospel is more than the historical reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel is the complete story of redemptive history. The gospel answers key questions like, who am I? You understand that? I hope I hope that you've not been show, sold a truncated, shortened, incomplete gospel. The gospel answers all the major questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where did all this come from? Why do I do bad things? Why are some things bad and why are some things good? Who decides if some things are bad and some things are good? How can bad things be fixed? Am I bad? How am I fixed if I'm bad? Can I be fixed? Why do people die? What happens to people when they die? Will dead people live again? Will the earth as we know it end? How do we know it will end? Is the end the end? Those are good questions. And these are ultimate questions that need ultimate and definitive answers. The world system that has been hijacked by the rebel answers these Questions are asking and the world system has come and given rebel answers and they've hijacked these questions and they've given hijacked answers with varied lies. This system is counteracted with the gospel. We believe this. We believe that the Bible gives us these answers to these questions in the gospel, the good news. You see, the gospel is news. The gospel is news that is good. Good. The implication of the word gospel itself means that there is some news to be known. And if it's good news, apparently there is some bad news. Otherwise, there would be no need for good news. You got it. You've been around here long enough, you know. What is the gospel? The gospel is best summed up in four words that help us to crystallize the gospel message but need to be expanded upon in order to have a full articulation of the message of the gospel. Here are those words. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. The gospel begins with identifying creation and who made it. Jesus isn't Johnny come lately who decided, oh, this is, I think I'll go down and redeem that cool thing that's just kind of been there for eternity. No. He is the Creator. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is the one who sustains what He created. Hebrews 1, through chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, Jesus also speaks the sustenance of creation into existence by His constant decreeing it into existence. So creation isn't just eternal, it's temporary. It was made, and it was made by Jesus. Father, Son, and Spirit. Therefore, when He made man, He made man in His image. So you are not just a biological entity with neurons firing. You're a biological entity who has a soul too. And your soul is as vital as your physical entity. Because you're an image bearer. You bear the stamp of the triune God in your very being. But the image bearers made a decision that they would rebel against their Creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So rather than valuing the presence of Christ walking with them, they valued the rebellion, the insurrection brought by one of the heavenly hosts. And this host came down and this entity called Satan brought our first parents into the temptation that God was not all He said He was. They believed the lie, they rebelled, and the insurrection was started, and all of creation died toward its Creator, including our parents creating His image. The image of God was crushed, not destroyed. And so therefore, all of mankind, from our parents' first children until now, we have all been born with the spiritually genetic defect of death stamped on us. So we are creatures that are fallen and in desperate need of a Savior. And so all the things on this creation that do not work right, including us, are a result of rebellion against God and the insurrection and the subversive work of the domain of darkness. But this God had plan A. He's never had plan B. That He may receive more glory by saving people determined that what was insurrection would not be the final say, but it would be simply the stepping point and launching point into receiving global glory. And so in the fullness of time, God sent forth the second person of the Trinity. The Father sent the Son, missionary Jesus, who came to this fallen, rebellious culture and He took on fallen flesh and He ate fallen food and he spoke a fallen language and he lived life and he experienced all of life and he died at your hands and mine in my place for my rebellion and my insurrection and the eternal creator of the universe died and he was buried for three days he lay but on the third day Christ rose and he took on an immortal status, the resurrected status that he is the firstborn of, of which we will partake when he raises us who believed in him. And not only is that not the end of the story, it's just the beginning. Because what he started in Eden, he will bring back to in the restoration. He will restore all things. Through the kingdom of God. Of which the church is a carrier. And everywhere we go. We carry the rule of Jesus Christ. So that in the end. All things would be restored back to their creator. From the domain of darkness. Including us as image bearers. All of life. All of society redeemed. And brought to the glory of Jesus Christ. That is as best I can see it in the Bible. As an articulation of the gospel. That is our message. It. Answers all the questions. Every single one of them. And therefore, it is our banner. It is what drives us. Creation, fall, redemption, and then the restoration. At some point, if the Lord would allow in our history together, I wanna, I wanna preach on heaven. The eternal kingdom of heaven, of which it is currently present and is coming in its fullness. Because it's so much cooler than we could ever imagine. So what is the gospel? That is the gospel as best I understand. Another question is, why is the gospel so important? Isn't it just a message among many messages on the world, right? Aren't there many messages that are equally valuable, right? Well, if the Bible is accurate, and we believe it is, Romans 1.16 tells us why the gospel is important. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, what's it? The gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the powerful message and reality that saves. And there's so much more in Romans 1 16 and 17. The goal this morning isn't an exposition of Romans one sixteen and seventeen, just to hit some high points. We got lots of time together, not today, but history. Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation, meaning salvation only happens through the powerful working of God through the proclamation of this this message of the gospel." So why is the gospel important? Well, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's why. But this word salvation is interesting. It carries two pieces to it. It means rescued from, but it also means being restored to. So salvation isn't just a rescuing from, it is also a restoration to. And by the way, there are so many implications to this that I don't have time for them. That's why they're not written in. When you start talking about what am I rescued from and what am I restored to, and you do that by the Spirit's guidance with Bible in hand, you connect group leaders and you connect groups, sound that out. What have I been rescued from and what have I been restored to? It'll transform how you do life. I'm just going to give you a big picture Today. Salvation means rescued from, restored to. Both meanings come into play with the gospel. First, the gospel rescues us from God's wrath. This is a piece of the gospel that makes some people nervous. Because after all, if you're a moralistic, therapeutic deist, God isn't angry, He's not happy, He's just out there. And it's just sort of all in your court anyway, you know, I'm free to do whatever i want to do and if i can appease god and make him happy he might guide me to something so i go to church to make me feel better make god happy maybe i won't get a ticket today driving home or maybe he'll give me some money or do something to make life better but you know just you know there you go make make god happy but god no I was not angry not at all right well yes he is why because we rebelled there's been an insurrection in his kingdom and the result of that is death. And we learn in the Bible that God righteously and rightfully has been spurned and His glory has been robbed and it's the ultimate crime. And we learn in Romans 1, 16 and 17 what I just read to you. And if you read verse 18, there's a little purpose clause. And it tells you why why the gospel's powerful and why it's needed. You guys understand purpose clauses, right? It tells the purpose for which what was just said was said. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Yeah. God has revealed the truth of the gospel because he is going to reclaim his glory. It will get done. John 17, 1 3, Jesus said. Father, the hour has come, glorify that the Son, that the Son may glorify You. God puts His wrath on display on the Son, on the cross, to show us what will happen to all of those who do not come to the Son. Because they're guilty of the rebellion. And therefore, all those who do not repent and come to Christ will suffer forever at the hands of God, and it is right for God to do it. It's not wrong, it's not unjust, it's perfectly just. If He doesn't punish sinners, then we have a God who's not just. And if He's not just, He might be evil. But He is just and He will punish sinners. But He's also full of love. So He sent His own Son, the second person of the Trinity, to take His wrath. So that all those who come to the Son would receive the Son's perfection, and God would take wrath off of them, and He would adopt them as children. A glorious reality of the gospel. And so the gospel is vital because it teaches us that it rescues us from God's righteous wrath. And we learn that this righteousness from God is available by faith, not good works, not effort. By trusting Christ alone. We could be made perfect before God. And be adopted as sons and daughters. But there's another part of the gospel that's beautiful. And it drives the ministry of this church. And it's that the gospel restores us us to Jesus' kingdom. Something terrible happened in the fall. We came under The rule of the domain of darkness. How do you know this? Well, what's the first thing that happens after Genesis 3? Cain murders Abel. Everything's broken. The domain of darkness begins to rule inside God's glorious created order. In human hearts and in society and even in created order itself. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this, beautiful. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The gospel restores us to Jesus' kingdom. What is the kingdom of His beloved Son? What is the kingdom of God? Matthew refers to it in his gospel as the kingdom of heaven give you a quote from Wayne Grudem I've said before if you've been here long enough you need to have Grudem on your shelf all my high school juniors have a copy because we teach through Grudem here systematic theology junior year and and it's awesome and you should you should get it and read it and um, yeah so whatever so in Grudem in the iBooks format on page 1656 he's quoting George Eldon Ladd and talking about the role of the church in the kingdom I'll give you a beautiful little definition here of the kingdom of God not the only definition but it's a good working one The kingdom is primarily the dynamic reign or kingly rule of God and derivatively the sphere in which the rule is experienced. In biblical idiom, the kingdom is not identified with its subjects. They are the people of God's rule who enter it, who live under it and are governed by it. The church is the community of the kingdom but never the kingdom itself. Jesus' disciples belong to the kingdom as the kingdom belongs to them, but they are not the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule of God, and the church is a society of men. This reality of the kingdom of God governs everything. When the gospel bursts us into God's kingdom, our allegiances change because we are no longer in pledge of allegiance to the United States of America. We pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God and our king. His rules trump our nation's rules. I may get arrested this week if they're spying on me right now. I don't know. We'll see. Our allegiances change. Our values change. Our ethos shifts. We are completely new creatures forming a new and dynamic community called the church. You see, the kingdom of God is opposite of the domain of darkness. And the value shift is absolutely monumental. And and, I I put a list there for you. DOD, if you're looking at the notes, DOD for domain of darkness, KOG for the kingdom of God. And this, this is convicting. And it lets us know that we... Well, it's a good litmus test of whether or not we have values of the domain of darkness or values of the kingdom ruling us. You ready for these? This is the ethos. This is what repels people. Or it's what attracts people. You ready? The domain of darkness values hoarding. The kingdom of God values giving. The domain of darkness values ownership. The kingdom of God values owning nothing. Because who's the owner in the kingdom of God of all things? Oh, you know the answer to this. The Lord. The domain of darkness values security and safety. The kingdom of God values risk. Risk. You know why the church in the West has failed at the Great Commission? Because she has a great dark God called safety. How do we know Jesus values risk? He sent the 12 and the 70 out with nothing. Take no money. No extra stuff. Go. And when you find a person of peace, stay with them. They didn't even have a plan. They didn't even know where they are going to stay. Just go. Does that make you curl up on the inside just a little bit? That's the conflict of the kingdom of God versus the domain of darkness. The domain of darkness values arrogance. The kingdom of God values poverty of spirit. The domain of darkness values the enjoyment of sin. The kingdom of God values mourning over sin. The domain of darkness values domination. The kingdom of God values meekness. The domain of darkness values a desire for sin. The kingdom of God values a desire for righteousness. The domain of darkness is merciless. The kingdom of God is merciful. The domain of darkness values division. The kingdom of God values peacemaking. The domain of darkness values conformity. The kingdom of God values persecution. You recognize this list from anywhere? Can you say the Beatitudes? And I've got some more... The domain of darkness values suspicion and hate. The kingdom of God values love. The domain of darkness values strength. The kingdom of God values weakness. The domain of darkness values money. The kingdom of God values the love of God. What did Jesus say? You cannot love God and money. The domain of darkness values celebrity. The kingdom of God values being like a child and unknown. This is why the whole concept of Christian celebrity is gross to Jesus. Jesus did not come as a celebrity, but the very epitome of weakness. The domain of darkness values natural solutions. The kingdom of God values supernatural solutions. Do you feel the conflict of worldviews in your own soul even now? Yeah. You see, the gospel we preach serves as the keys of the kingdom of God. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 13 to 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is he going to build his church on? This glorious reality that Jesus is the Christ of God. He is the glory of God. For the glory of God, we build the church. Why? Because Jesus is glorifying the Father in building the church. I'm going to build my church in this glorious reality that I am its God. And here's what he says. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We just studied this in Systematic. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's pretty powerful. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You've got the keys to the kingdom. And then he strictly charged the disciples, still no one, he was the Christ. Quoting Grudem, The keys of the kingdom of heaven represent at least the authority to preach the gospel of Christ and thus open the door of the kingdom of heaven and allow people to enter. The gospel is so powerful, it's a key that unlocks the kingdom so that people can come into the rule of Jesus Christ and have His values transplanted in them as opposed to the values of the domain of darkness. The gospel is powerful. So the gospel opens the doors of the kingdom and transfers us from darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Hey, guess what? God's rule is over everything. Jesus has never dropped the ball. But we see his reign specifically where? In the church. In the lives of people who have been transformed by the gospel. And by the way. Revelation. The kingdom. Of darkness. Right? Has become the kingdom of our Lord in Christ. Jesus will finish conquering. The domain of darkness. That's why we can engage in the great commission. Because it's a foregone reality. It's it's happening and it's going to finish. The gospel reveals the kingdom. That it's a present and fully coming reality. The gospel reveals to us that the kingdom is a present and a fully coming reality. Pietists say the kingdom is in the heart and it's spiritual. Some people in our denomination say the, the church is the kingdom. Some in liberal Christianity say it's societal reform. Others say the kingdom is just fully future. The kingdom is spiritual and physical. The church is the community of the kingdom. But when Christ returns, we will no longer be distinct from the rest of the world because we will be all that is in the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom's the rule of Christ over his people and the full restoration of all things. The gospel will open doors for the kingdom to restore society, but where liberal Christians mess up is they neglect the gospel, believing their works alone will change. Our work will only change change when the gospel changes people to begin to value the values of God's kingdom I challenge you to go read Matthew 13 it's going to take you a while to leave Matthew 13 the kingdom secrets are told so that only those who want to be in the kingdom can understand them. Only those for whom the gospel has unlocked the kingdom does Matthew 13 start to make any sense. Matthew 13 is a chapter that most Christians usually skip over, particularly the first part because it's very uncomfortable with their glorious things Jesus says about the kingdom for those who have had it unlocked by the gospel. The kingdom has wheat and weeds in it. It can only be understood by those who are in the kingdom. Jesus said, this is why I preach in parables, so that those not in won't understand what I'm saying. But those who are in, get it. And he quotes Isaiah 6. The kingdom has weeds and wheat in it. Jesus is going to sort that out. The kingdom has sheep and goats in it. And Jesus will sort them out. The kingdom is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. But when it grows, it's larger than all the garden plants where men get shade and birds Make their nest. The kingdom's like a treasure hidden in a field that when a man finds it, it's so valuable that he goes and he sells everything he has and buys that field. That's a value, that's a value shift, isn't it? Nothing I have is worth. No, this is better than that. The kingdom is also like the pearl of great value when found. A man goes and sells everything he has. The kingdom's like a net that catches fish of every kind and Jesus will have his host separate the good from the evil. Evil. This is all accessible through this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So why, why is our church built on the gospel? All that. Because it's powerful. And it rescues us from the righteous wrath of God, but it transfers us to the glorious rule and kingdom of Christ and all His glorious values. The gospel provides entry into the kingdom. The gospel transforms a person into a citizen of the kingdom. Where we begin to value the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 through 7, Matthew 13. The gospel brings us into the community of the kingdom, which is the church. The gospel is what then binds people of the same value and culture together. A church can never stay unified when it values means above Jesus in the gospel. If you come to Three Rivers Community Church because of an offering of a ministry, you will not make it here long. Because we do not hold out to you a ministry to consume. We hold out to you the kingdom of God of which you can be a part through Christ and give your life away even if in death to Jesus who is worthy of it. The gospel is what binds people who value the kingdom together. The gospel bursts people into the kingdom. And people of the kingdom gather in the church as a subversive society of people seeking to counteract the rebellion that was started in the garden. You know what's awesome? When you love God over money, you know what you're doing? You're subverting the kingdom of darkness. You're being a spiritual CIA, an FBI agent, subverting darkness so that the kingdom would conquer sin. Awesome! Awesome! Particularly for us guys who're spying war and stuff. We're making war on the kingdom of darkness. Isn't that amazing? So, something even as simple as just valuing God's values over the domain of darkness and living those out, you're subverting darkness. Isn't that awesome? So, the church then is planted throughout territory that's held in the rebellion. That was started in the garden. And because Jesus reigns in us today. We can subversively begin to take the culture back. With the values of God's kingdom. Lived out among us. And among those who are walking in the domain of darkness. Without the gospel opening the doors of the kingdom of God. There's no church. There's no mission. There's no purpose. If God doesn't rule by the gospel. Then therefore... Making no kingdom to be entered by the gospel, then the church is irrelevant and just a fad that'll eventually die out in the evolution of man as a species and the naturalists are right. But if God truly does rule and his kingdom can be entered and regained and fully restored over overall, and the gospel is truly the way into the kingdom of God, then the church has immeasurable significance. We are not irrelevant. We are not a product to be consumed by people wanting nice, easy ministry. We are globally significant. And the church is the precious bride of Christ, belonging to Him. And you and I are members of that church and members of one another. And that church has a mission that has to be kept and focused on. And if the church has that mission, then her means must match her mission. This is exactly what the mission and the key words that define the DNA of our church and our mission statement is all about. The gospel is truly the way into the kingdom of God. The church is vital and truly significant. And the scope of the mission has to be global and local. Why? Because God's kingdom is global and local. And the way we do this is through radical life. Communion, community, and collision. And those things can't be compromised. I want you to hear this. This is very important. We're almost done. Two minutes. Regardless of how other fellowships define the mission of the church and the words they use, we believe we've captured the essence of that biblical mission and how we stated that mission. There are others on mission with us. We're not alone. And we don't have the corner on the market. Don't hear this wrong. This isn't arrogance and trumpeting us. There are many others. Who are doing what we're doing. And they're doing it in different ways. And glory to God for it. But this is us focusing on God's call on us. And making sure we stay on point And don't become part of the post-Christian fodder. Of the south. The gospel of the kingdom. Gives us an eternal mission. And an eternal mission. Given by God. Gives meaning. And great significance. To every single day. You wake up in the morning. It's not an irrelevant day. It's not just a passing day. It is a day on mission. To subvert the kingdom of darkness. With the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. An eternal mission given by God gives great significance to our worship every day. And especially when we gather together. This is no simple gathering. This is a dynamic expression of the kingdom of God being worked out in Rome, Georgia. It's not to be taken for granted. It's not to just be haphazardly engaged in. It is to be prepared for. Looked forward to. Engaged in. Enjoyed. Because as worshippers of Christ. The Bible tells us. He walks among us. Have you tasted him this morning? Oh he's thick. The question isn't. Is Jesus present? The question is. Have you been prepared to meet with him today? Did you come as a citizen of the kingdom? Looking. To bow at the at the throne of the king? Or did you come as a king looking for somebody to serve you? You see, if you came as a subject of the king and the kingdom, you're tasting the very presence of Christ this morning. You see, we sing because God sings. Zephaniah 3.17 reminds us that he is a Mighty one who is among us and he is one who is eager to save and he shouts and sings over his people. You see, Father is singing over us if we're his people doing his work. As loyal subjects, the Father takes delight in us. And we can join with the hosts of heaven singing praise to him for his grace to us and revealing the gospel and transforming us and for letting us be a small part of his mission for global glory. How cool is it to be part of something like that? So you know what I invite you to do this morning? As subjects of the King, who is sitting on His throne and walking among His people, I invite you to come and worship Him. And hold high the banner of the Gospel that is the way this world will enter that Kingdom. And how cool will it be as we continue to see people come into this body through the Gospel and join us at the feet of our King. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the glorious truth of your gospel that is the power of God for salvation. Saved from righteous wrath, but also saved to be transferred and restored to the kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would drive the values of your kingdom deep, deep, deep into the souls of your people. Lord, I thank you for the work of the Spirit to sanctify to clean up. Lord, I pray for each one of us that You would take the places where the domain of darkness has some sway and that You would cause Your kingdom and the values of the kingdom to rule. Thank You for the glorious gospel that's made a way into that for us. Lord, I pray You drive that DNA deep deep deep, holy spirit we ask you to do your work now we invite you to be sovereign over us your people we ask you to break down barriers break down walls break down unbelief regenerate those who need to have their deadness removed so they can see and savor Jesus So, would you be pleased to do that even now too do sovereign and holy work among your people Lord cause the aroma of your kingdom to be ever richer in this fellowship may our love for the gospel deepen and may you help us to continue to let that work itself out in every fiber of who we are we need you to help us do that